Good morning again. If you would bow and pray with me. Father, we come before your word to hear from you. We want to be corrected by it, to be chastened. Lord, we want to hear you and not our own thoughts. And so we pray that you would speak to us, that you would do the work of the two-edged sword on us in and through your word by the living and active word, your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, my mother called me to rebuke me this week for the outline, which apparently was difficult for some of you to write down. So it is now included in your bulletin so that if you were not able to follow it last time, I put both the, the outline of Psalm 15 through 24 as well as the outline of Psalm 18 so that it's a, le- a little easier to look at. You can then see how Psalm 18 fits both within the sequence of Psalms and then how it's wrapped around itself. And as a reminder today, we're going to consider the central section. But before we do that, I'm going to make you listen to the psalm in its entirety again. So Psalm 18, this is what David says. I love you, O Yahweh, my strength. Yahweh is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I call upon Yahweh who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of Belial assailed me. The cords of Sheol encircled me. And the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon Yahweh and to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry for him reached into his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. And the foundations of the mountains trembled and shook because he was angry. Smoke poured forth from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. By it, coals were kindled. Then he bowed the heavens and he came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He sped on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, a canopy around him. Darkness of water, thick clouds. Out of the brightness before him, Past thick clouds, hailstones, coals of fire. Yahweh thundered from the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent forth his arrows and scattered them, his lightnings in abundance, and he routed them. Then the channels of the waters appeared. The foundations of the mountains were laid bare at your rebuke, O Yahweh, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Then he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. On the day of my calamity, they confronted me, but Yahweh was my stay, my staff. He brought me into broad places. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Yahweh has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. I have kept the ways of Yahweh and not wickedly departed from my God. His ordinances are before me, and I have not put his statutes away from me. I have been blameless before him and kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, Yahweh has recompensed me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. For with the merciful you show yourself merciful, and with the blameless you show yourself blameless, and with the pure you show yourself pure, but with the crooked you show yourself twisted." You will save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you bring down. By you I can run up against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of Yahweh is tried. All those who take refuge in he's a shield to all those who take refuge in him. And who is this God? Except Yahweh. And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength, who makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet, and he sets me on my high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arm can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me. 
By your gentleness, you make me great. You enlarge my steps under me so that my feet are not shaken. I pursued my enemies. I overtook them. And I did not, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they fell under my feet. They were not able to rise. For you have girded me with strength for battle. And you have brought down those who rose up against me. You have made my enemies turn the back of their necks to me so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help, but there is none to hear. Even to Yahweh, but he did not hear them. Then I beat them fine as dust in the wind and poured them out like refuse in the streets. You have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You made me the head of nations. A people that I did not know have served me. As soon as they hear me, they obey my voice. Foreigners submit to me, and foreigners wither. They come trembling out of their fortresses. But Yahweh lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance and subdues peoples under me. Surely you lift me up above those who rose up against me. You have rescued me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to your name among the nations, O Yahweh, and I will sing praises to your name. He gives great deliverance to his king. He shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forever. Amen. Remember that David, as he's writing this song, the bookends of the psalm are about God the rock. God the rock who rescued Israel in the wilderness. He was a rock for them. When they had no water, they cried out to God and God answered. Even when they were in sin, he answered. And we have to keep that in mind. He presented himself as the rock to be struck in the wilderness, and out of that rock, through the striking of God, God delivered his people. He led them to Mount Sinai. He wrote on a rock the law of his covenant. He made a marriage for himself between God and his bride Israel. God the rock saves. And so David, he writes and he says, I love Yahweh, my strength, my God, my rock, my fortress. And we have all of these metaphors that tell us how David looks at God as his protector, as his deliverer, as the one who sets him up on high so that he looks down on his enemies from safety. And we see the end of that. Yahweh lives, blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The psalm is bookended then with this declaration of praise, a confidence first that God will rescue, and then praise because he has rescued, because he delivers his king. He shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his seed forever. In the middle of this psalm, and we've been leading up to this in our series of psalm, we have, we, we have this part that is difficult for us to take on our lips. It's easy to read as the words of Jesus, to hear what David says as the foundation. Remember, this is the center of the entire chiasm. He says, Yahweh has rewarded me according to my righteousness. We know our righteousness is filthy rags before God. So how can we come before God? Whether we're coming in Psalm 17 and crying out to God, vindicate me because I'm blameless before you, or looking back retrospectively and saying God rescued us, because we're righteous? But that's exactly what David says. Yahweh has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and his sight. And he goes through this litany of, of six parallel statements about how he has kept the ways of Yahweh, how he's been blameless before him. He hasn't departed from his God. And parallel to that, parallel to David's righteousness, we see then the character of God. So verses 20 through 24 are about David. Verses 25 through 29 are about God. And, and with, with God, at least the first three statements are easier for us to hear. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. But with the crooked, you show yourself twisted. So what are we to make of this? And what I want to, what I want to observe first is what we're not allowed to do. We must be able to say, as Isaiah says, as Paul says, our righteousness is filthy rags before God. We can't present ourselves as 
righteous. And yet, simultaneously, we have to read these words for what David says. We can't ignore them or explain them away. And so, one of the things that we might be tempted to do is say, this is under a Mosaic law context. God rewards because that's what the law said. But if you just, just think for a second. Think, I had Hyde read Romans chapter 2 because Paul puts it forward blatantly. God, God rewards those who, who do good. Well, how does, how does that work? Or think about it in the words of the author of the Hebrews as he's talking about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the essence of things not seen. Well, what is faith? To have faith, one must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, it, it doesn't hurt us as much to say it in that format. God rewards those who seek him. But what if I turn that phrase around and say, thank you, God, I've sought you. Thank you for rewarding me for it. It sounds a little bit more like works righteousness. And yet that's what the author of the Hebrews says. Or think about the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, I've, you're already clean, but I'm going to continue to clean you. If you abide in me, if you keep my commandments, ask of me whatever you want and I will answer you. So we have to grapple with that in our context. How are we to make sense of these two things? And across history, there's a divides in theologies about how you put those two kinds of statements together. So I just want to, to notice that and say these two, things, these two things not only coexist, God placed them together in his word to train us. We come to God on the basis of our Savior Jesus, by his blood alone, and yet he calls us to righteousness. So on the one hand, you see that there is a type of theology that, that ends up trusting in ourselves. There is no room for that kind of theology. We look to God and God alone. On the other side, there is a kind of theology where God saves us, and yet it, doesn't, it makes no difference what we live like, who we are, and so there, there's a free grace type of theology, which grace is free, don't get me wrong, but God saves us unto cleanness, unto righteousness, and so we, we, we're not allowed to think in those terms that I can continue to be a sinner in the presence of God. So with those, those two signposts, then we have to find our way. How do we sing this song before God? Yahweh has rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. I've kept the ways of Yahweh. I've not wickedly departed from my God. All his ordinances were before me, and I did not put his statutes away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from iniquity. <laughs> This is what David can say. Of course, it, it makes sense on the lips of Christ. He was blameless. He was perfect. He was made perfect. We talked about last night that there is a difference between sinlessness and blamelessness or, or perfection because we're, we hear from the author of the Hebrews that Jesus, who was sinless, was made perfect through suffering. He learned obedience by suffering, and he was then brought to perfection. There was no more fitting way for our Savior to be perfected, to be called blameless, than through that which he suffered. Corresponding to that, we can look at this text and see that sinlessness doesn't mean blamelessness, but blamelessness also does not mean sinlessness. <laughs> they don't cross the boundary in either direction. So if you think about Psalm 18, as it's placed in, in God's scriptures. It's both here and in 2 Samuel chapter 22. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, no matter when it was written, it was written, it, it's placed there after David's sin with Bathsheba. After he murdered Uriah the Hittite in cold blood, David can sing this song looking back on his life. God has rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands. How can this be? 
There's a couple ways to look at this. In our relationships, there is a sense of blamelessness. So in, in the relationships of David and Saul, we noticed this when we were studying Psalm 17. David, he, uh, he pursues Saul, and he finds him asleep, and he cuts off the corner of his robe, and then he, he stays his hand. He holds back, and he does not slay God's anointed. And as he retreats to a distance, he calls out, and he calls out, and he says, look, I'm blameless. I'm not guilty of what you think I'm guilty of. I have done nothing against you, against God's anointed. I am blameless. And Saul confesses, you are. You are blameless and you're acquitted before God. And so in that relationship, David is blameless. But I just want to point out here in Psalm 18 that there's something a little bit more expansive. It's not just blameless in front of Saul. David says, I was blameless with him with God. So hold that thought. I asked Hyde to read, and, and in the note I, I asked you to read then Psalm 19 and 2 Samuel 23. Hyde read for us 2 Samuel 23 this morning. Just, just for context, remember that is the chapter immediately after this psalm placed in 2 Samuel. So David sings this psalm at the end of this life, and then there is one final song recorded us from, from David, the sweet psalmist. And I'll just read a couple of words out of that psalm so you can see the observation I'm going to make. This is, this is what he says with the spirit of Yahweh on his tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds. The tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. Truly is not my house so with God, for he has made an everlasting covenant with me. We'll come back to that in a minute, but then flip to Psalm 19. The heavens are proclaiming the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are their words, their voice is not heard, their line has gone through all the earth, and their utterance to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. You see what's common between these two adjacent scriptures in this song. Both of them look at how God rules and they compare it to the sun coming up on a day without clouds in all of its wonderful scorching heat. Now consider Psalm 18. Yahweh comes. How does he come? He comes as a storm. He speeds on the cherub. He flies on the wings of the wind, and there's thick darkness about him. Darkness hailstones, coals of fire. He throws flashes of lightning down to rout David's enemies. And after this song, in both places in the Bible, then we have a song about the sun. On a day with no clouds, God comes out and he shines forth. And what I want to do is look at how these two scriptures help us understand David's song. So flip back then to 2 Samuel 23. Here David says, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God is the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, the tender grass out of the earth through sunshine after rain. At the end of 2 Samuel 22, God has elevated David. He's placed him as the head of nations so that a people he did not know serve him. He's made him into the king, the promised king, the Messiah, well, not, the, not the future Messiah, but the promised king of 2 Samuel 7, who's ruling then over an expanded kingdom. And David's confession, by the word of the law of Yahweh, filled with the Spirit, is he is to rule over men righteously, and his rule is to be like the light of the morning sun that rises. So the men come trembling out of their fortresses. The nations submit to David by God's decree. And David is to rule them now as the light of the sun. So he doesn't stay as a storm cloud. David doesn't continue to rule 
like ultimately his grandson Rehoboam does, but instead he's to be as the sun that lights up, that lights up the earth so that tender grass springs forth out of the earth. It's, it, it's hearkening back to Genesis chapter 2. The commission of Adam is to cultivate the ground so that it grows forth shrubs and grass and it sprouts forth from the earth. And David is supposed to be like that, like the sun that comes through sunshine and there's no, there's no more rain clouds. And then he says this, I'm supposed, to be, I'm supposed to be this king that's like the sun. But David confesses this, truly is not my house so with God. He has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and kept. So David says, God has commissioned me to be this king. But God is my king. He is the light of the sun on a cloudless day for me. And the way that he understands this metaphor, he says, my, truly is not my house so with God, for he has made an everlasting covenant with me. He's ordered all things and secure for two purposes, for my salvation and for all my desire. We're going to see that worked out in Psalm 20 and 21. For all my salvation and my desire, will he not indeed make it grow? So David says, God is like the sun on high. He's given me this secure covenant. He's ordered it for me because of his love. And he shines forth on me, ordered and kept for my salvation and my desire. Will he not make my house grow? The foundation of that rule, then, is this covenant. David is to reflect that as a son to the people, and we'll see that further in our text in Psalm 18 in just a second. But David is a lamp unto Israel. He's like a, uh, an image of the sun for them, but his confession is God is the sun. He reigns on high. He lights my way. He's given me an everlasting covenant ordered and kept that will not fall away for my salvation and my desire, will he not make me grow? But the worthless and every one of them will be thrust away like thorns. So as Adam grows, there's two kinds of produce that springs up from the earth. There's the shrubs of the field and the thorns and the thickets. And he says, they cannot be taken in the hand, verse 6, but the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of the spear, and they will completely be burned with fire. So David says, under the rule of God, then there is this crop that grows forth. And the thickets and the thorns must be addressed with iron and the end of a spear. With a storm cloud, God comes and deals with them. With iron and the spear, David deals with them. But God deals with his people, with David, and David deals with the nation as the sun on a cloudless day. With a covenant ordered and secure for salvation and desire. God makes it grow. He treats us with love. Turn back with me then to Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, we have this same picture. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. And how are they doing it? It's like, it's like the sun that roams from one side of the earth to the other, and he combines this image of the sun, as we talked about now two months ago, with the picture of a bridegroom. God as a bridegroom coming to, to rescue his bride for salvation and for pleasure, for desire. The same, same two things that we see in 2 Samuel 23. God comes as the sun. He rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. And if you remember that heat, it can be good or it can be judgmental, both. We can, we can grow under the warmth of the sun or we can shrivel under the scorching heat of that same sun. But in Psalm 19, the author is telling us how David sees that son, how he sees the work of God is through the testimony of God's word. The law of Yahweh is blameless, perfect, turning back the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. 
The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They're righteous altogether, and they're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. So we have the string of statements about God's Word and what it does for David, his servant. It was blameless. In Psalm 18, he does say, I was blameless before God. But his confession is not, I was blameless on my own. His confession is, God, his way is blameless. And in verse 32, the God who girds me with strength, he makes my way blameless. How does he do it? He gives his covenant. He rises as a sun in the sky, and he gives his word, and he shines it forth on his people to train them. Remember in Psalm 18, we made the point last week that there's this parallelism between God coming and rescuing David and God training him. He, he makes his arms to be able to bend a bow of bronze. Well, how does he do it? He speaks to him out of his word. The law of Yahweh is blameless. It's perfect. It turns back my soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure. It's true. Think about Psalm 18. David says, God made my feet like hind's feet. So he set me on the high places. He made my steps enlarged unto me. Well, how does he do that? The testimony of Yahweh is sure. It makes you sure-footed. It makes you wise where you were simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right. They rejoice the heart. They make your way straight. And so where David was headed down to Sheol, they were, he was being captured and pulled underground. God pulls him up. He rescues him. He sets him straight, and then he trains and corrects him through his word. He gives him a shield of salvation. The fear of Yahweh is clean. We'll see that word in, in Psalm 18 again. It's clean, enduring forever, and the judgments of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. And so God trains his servant David through his word. He writes it down. He records it. Remember the law of the king. We, we studied. When, when you become a king... You have to take up the law, record it in your hand, embed it in, in your heart so that you know God's word. David's proclamation is not, I'm blameless with my righteousness. His proclamation is, God, you've trained me. You've made me blameless. You've made my way straight. You've set your ordinances before me. And by your protecting hand, I do not put them away. You enlarge my steps under me so that my feet are not shaken. So for David, at the end of the day, the heart of it is, I cling to you. And isn't that what's true of our salvation? Our righteousness is as filthy rags when we come to him, but we cling to Jesus. Not to the purity of our faith, but to Jesus, the one that saves. And what Jesus does is he lifts us up out of the mire he sets us on high places and he trains our hands for war. He gives us his word and he makes us pure and righteous and holy altogether so that we can stand in the presence of God proclaimed right. I think I said this before, but it's not just a propositional righteousness. God makes us righteous. So that when we stand before him, we are blameless and true. And remember from Psalm 19, and we'll get back to Psalm 18 in just a minute. Remember from Psalm 19, the sun rising in the skies like the law of Yahweh that lights the way. But what does it do for him? Well, it, it teaches him, it trains him, it corrects him, it puts his feet in the right places, it makes him dwell in broad places. But he says, in keeping them there is great reward. That those, th those words of God are like a guard about my path. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Remember what David says? Yahweh has rewarded me according to my righteousness. Where did it come from? There's great reward in hearing the words of God. It all comes from him. And we'll fill this out in a second, but who can discern his errors? David's not saying he's sinless. God comes with his word. He enlightens where those hidden sins are. He acquits of what's secret and hidden. So then in the day of judgment, the God who pulls out the secrets of men, with those who are hid, his, who have basked under the light of the Son of King Jesus, 
There are no secrets left. They've been exposed. They've been cleared. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden, what's hidden. Keep back your servant from presumption. Let them not rule over me. Instead, he will be ruled by God the King, the Son on high. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Notice how David, in the, in the organization of the Psalter, these two psalms are brought together. I love Yahweh, my rock. Let the words of my meditation and, and uh, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. So bringing them together, we can understand what David is saying. The God who rescues is the, as a storm cloud and, and divides between the righteous and the wicked is the same one who comes as the light of the morning sun on a cloudless day and lights up David's way to make him blameless and righteous to stand before him. We can confess that God rewards the righteous and that God also saves us. And he does it this way. He acquits what's hidden. He exposes it. He causes us to confess, to bow the knee before him. Remember how David's presumptuous sin was exposed. He sent Nathan, his servant, out of his love. God sent Nathan to expose that sin. That which was hidden was brought to light, and David was brought to his knees. So that at the end of that, God's forgiven, and David is made blameless. So that 2 Samuel 22 Psalm 18 can be proclaimed not with a half-hearted proclamation, but God has rewarded David according to his righteousness, his righteousness that is bound up with God himself. Back to Psalm 18. Let's look at then the words that David says. Yahweh has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. So he, has, he uses these two words. He's rewarded me. There we, we notice that word rewarded in Hebrews 11.6. You must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God has rewarded David according to the righteousness that God gave David. He's made him covenantally righteous and allowed him to keep that covenant. And he's made his hands clean. His hands were dirty. We can't forget that, right? These are the hands that committed adultery with Bathsheba, that murdered Uriah. There was blood on his hands, but it was atoned for. David repented. He was made clean, and his hands stand clean before God. And based on those cleanness of hands, God turns them back to him. The word recompense is the word turn back. It's the same word that's used in Psalm 19 about the law of Yahweh. It's perfect, and it turns back the soul. It's like a mirror, and that's what we see in, in, in the subsequent verses, that God deals with people as they are. We'll, we'll comment on that in just a minute. David says, I've kept the way of Yahweh. Remember Psalm 1, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Who, who is that, that one? The one that keeps his way, that delights in the law of the Lord. I've kept the way of Yahweh. I've not wickedly departed from my God. This is in contrast then to Saul. Saul was given that benefit of protection from Yahweh, and yet he did not keep the way of Yahweh. He did wickedly depart from God. All his ordinances were before me. I did not put his statutes away from me, and I was blameless with him, and I kept myself from iniquity. And so David stands before God, and he lifts out his hands, and in recognition of Psalm 15, who can come into the house of God? Who can dwell in your holy tent? Well, Psalm 24 says, he who has clean hands, these same clean hands. Psalm 15 says, he who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, who does not de take deceit upon his lips. And David says, I am that person by God's grace. More on that in a minute. So that's the first half of this central section. The second half then is verses 25 through 29. With, with the kind, you show yourself kind or merciful. That word kind is the word chesed. It's the word that's translated frequently loving kindness or merciful or covenant faithfulness. So all these ideas are wrapped up in which the merciful God calls David and he calls him to be merciful. Remember James chapter 2. Mercy shall triumph over judgment. Why? Because the law judges all those who are not merciful, who don't take up this attribute of God. And so God says, with those who are merciful... 
like I've called my servant David to be, I show myself merciful or faithful. God is faithful to, to his word. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. David proclaims that he is blameless, but we just pointed out from Psalm 19 that that blamelessness comes from the exposing light of God, the righteous king who's given him a covenant. With the pure, that word pure is the word for clean. The fear of the Lord is, is clean. It's a, it's a slightly different word, but the idea is the same. It's purifying. It's cleaning. My hands are clean before God. With the pure, you show yourself pure. But then we have this last statement. With the crooked, you show yourself twisted or astute. Or if you're reading the King James, it uses a wonderful word that we don't use anymore. With the froward, you show yourself froward. There are two different Hebrew words that are used in this verse, but they both mean crooked or twisted. Turn with me to Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 26. Just keep your finger there in Psalm 18. Leviticus 20, 26 and we'll just read a few of these verses. Verse, verse, we'll start in verse 21. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. I will let loose among you the beasts of the field, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your numbers so that your roads lie deserted. And if by these things you are not turned to me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you. I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sin. So in this covenant, God says, if you act with hostility before me, and I come to you, like Nathan comes, and you refuse to confess, if you refuse to obey, then I will turn with hostility against you. And we see God act on this. These words are put into action in the book of Ezekiel. God amplifies his hostility seven times. So you see prophecy on top of prophecy on top of prophecy where first a third are cut down, then another third, then another third, and God's hostility grows against his people because their face is set like flint against God. They show hostility to him. And what we find here is God treats people as they are. And this is a truth we know from God's word. We know it from, we've read Romans 1 a, a few times, that uh, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. And so what did God do? They worshiped the creature rather than the creator, and so God gave them over in the fuel of speculations to their own ignorance and to the desires that they stacked up against God. God turned in hostility and gave them exactly what they wanted. And I think that's what this verse means. With the froward, you show yourself froward. God turns and he treats the crooked with who they are, crooked and twisted. Now, there's a hint of mercy in there if you think about David. When David acted in crookedness, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, God sent Nathan, but how did Nathan convict him? He tricked him. David, who was playing games in wickedness, God tricked him and he confessed. Isn't God merciful? Even in his judgment, he is full of mercy. You save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you bring down. And so this is, this is a truth throughout God's word. He, brings, he, he, he lifts up those who are, all are, are low, and he brings down those who are high. We see it in Hannah's song. We see it in Luke. We'll look at this next week in the fullness of God's word as we see this psalm worked out. But then in verse 28, he says, You light my lamp. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. And I, I want to think about this for, for just a second. What is David saying, you light my lamp? This should remind us of 2 Samuel 23, of Psalm 19, about God the Son reigning on high, 
and calling then David to be like him, to be a son for the nation of Israel, to reign and rule in righteousness as that sun on a cloudless day that makes the grouse sprout forth. He says, you light my lamp. In 1 Samuel 3, 3, you don't need to turn there. I just want to point out how this is used in Scripture. In 1 Samuel 3, 3, talking about Eli, his eyes were, he was lying down in his place and his eyesight had begun to grow dim. It meant he wasn't judging well. He allowed his sons to sin and he did not respond to their sin. And it says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. It's a reference to the lamp in the tabernacle. So there's the lamp lighting up the way into the Holy of Holies where the ark of God rests. And looking forward, what God is going to do is he's going to leave his people and the lamp gets extinguished. So there's that lamp in the center of God's people, a miniature representation of the Shekinah glory, the fire that's sitting overhead as a sun to his people. He says that lamp had not yet gone out. His eyes are dim. He's not judging well. It's about to go out. It's flickering. God is about to leave, but it hasn't happened yet. And one more reference in 2 Samuel 21, verse 17. This is a war against the Philistines, and in verse 17, Abishai, the son of Zeruah, helped him and helped David as he was about to be killed and struck the Philistine and killed him. So David was just on the verge of death with this giant that had come upon him with 300 shekels of bronze girded with a new sword, and he had set his face to kill David. Abishai steps in, he strikes the Philistine, and then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, that you may not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Now there's a parallelism between David the king as the lamp of Israel and God the fire cloud that sits above his temple. And so his men say, don't go out to battle with us because you are the lamp that lights up the nation of Israel. God has covenanted with you and his rule and reign are expressed through you to us. We do not want that lamp to be extinguished. Here David is confessing, God, you light my lamp. You are the one that keeps it lit. And remember in the, in the, ta- in the tabernacle, Israel had a responsibility in worship to keep the lampstand continually lit. David says, you are the one that lights it. You are the one that keeps my lamp lit. You are the one that keeps me in covenant with you, that rewards me with the righteousness, the very righteousness that you train me in. You light my lamp, and the Lord my God illumines my darkness. So he is the one that lights up my way, so that by you I can run up against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of Yahweh is tried, and he's a shield to all those who take refuge in him. So David's confession, even here, of the person and the character of God, so his righteousness, which David participates in, God is the one who gives it. He lights that lamp. One last observation I I want to make. So remember, in a chiastic form, the center of that form helps interpret the bookends. Those were the focus lies. So we took the the kind of uh, the middle parts last week, the exciting metaphors of God coming as a storm cloud. But the psalm is about God rescuing David, God the rock who comes in his righteousness to reward his servant who is righteous. And the bookend for that begins in, in verse 46. Yahweh lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Thinking about this phrase, Yahweh lives, why does he say that? Yahweh lives. Keep your finger there and turn to Numbers 14. Numbers 14 is after the people rebelled. They refused to go into the land. They refused to take refuge in the shield who is our God. 
But Moses pleads with God for the people, and God responds in verse 20. He says, So Yahweh said, I pardon them according to your word, but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of Yahweh. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I have performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and I have not listened to my voice, they shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who spurn me see it, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. They turn tomorrow and set out to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I've heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me, say to them, As I live, says Yahweh, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Now, God uses that expression, as I live. It's an oath. As I live, I will keep my word. I will enact my word. In this case, that word is a word of judgment. I will set my face against these people who have been stubborn against me, who refuse to repent, and their corpses will fall in the wilderness, as I live. That phrase is taken up throughout the Old Testament as an oath, as Yahweh lives. This is what will happen. So as long as God is alive, seated on his throne in the heavenlies, his word is true. He will not turn back on his covenant. And so we know from the author of Hebrews, it's quoting out of Isaiah 45 in Exodus, God swears by himself because there is no one greater to swear by. When he swears to his servant David, he swears by himself. As I live, surely, surely, I will set your descendants upon the throne. As they obey me, I will keep them there, your, to your house and your seed forever. And so David's proclamation at the end of God's rescue, at the end of his training in righteousness, he says, Yahweh lives. I see that God is still there. He heard my voice. He came. He rescued just as he promised. And that's what the center of this psalm is about. We see it as a conflict with the, Refor with the Reformation where we, we know and we stand on the fact that our righteousness is as filthy rags, but David's David's central section of this psalm in which he proclaims, Yahweh has rewarded me in accordance with my righteousness, has nothing to do with David bringing filthy rags before God. Instead, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expression of faith. God, this is what you said, and because you're seated on the throne, you answered me just like you promised. You promised that you would come and that you would bless those who bless me in the Abrahamic covenant, that you would curse those who curse me. You promised that you would reward the righteous and punish the wicked. And Yahweh lives. Blessed be my rock who does not change, who does not go back on his word, who is a strong and a sure foundation, who is a protection to me, a shade like the cloud in the sky, who protects me even from judgment by making my way pure, by forgiving my sins, making me blameless before him. Yahweh lives. And David sees in his life that God's word is true. It's refined like silver in a furnace seven times, and God does not turn back. In 2 Samuel 23, we see that image. God is like, or the king is like the sun on a cloudless day. And the end of that picture is the grass sprouts up. So the good king keeps his word, and underneath him his people flourish. They're grown and trained in righteousness. Turn with me to John 15. And I want to conclude by, by reading what Jesus says. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he, he prunes it. Remember that word in Greek, that's, the word for pruning is the same word for cleaning. God, the fear of Yahweh makes me clean. It's the, the word for pure in Psalm 18. With the pure you show yourself pure. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he, he prunes it, he cleans it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. John tells us that we are attached to our Savior Jesus. We're attached by his promise, by his covenant. And there is a mutual indwelling in which we abide in him and he abides in us in a way that is beyond our comprehension. We can split it apart and say, I rest on Christ and his spirit abides in me. But there's this, you can't separate us. Abide in me and I abide in you. And as the branch bears fruit, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. God rewards the righteous, but we are not righteous of ourselves. Only as we abide in Christ. As the, right, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch. He dries up and they gather him and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Remember the end of 2 Samuel 23. The thorns and the thickets, you can't touch them with your hand. You take an iron rod and a spear, just like Psalm 2, and you go to war with them, and then they're taken out. They're cut out of the ground and burned up. Apart from the vine, we are just like that. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in that love, just as I have kept my father, Father's commandments, and abide in his love. If you would pray with me. Father, we confess that our Savior is Lord and we give you praise that we have a righteous King who both comes as a storm cloud and as the sun on high. Lord, that he rescues and delivers and also that he trains and teaches and grows us in righteousness. And Lord, we want to cling to you, so help us in that. Help us to cling to you through your words. Grow us in strength and in confidence in you. Teach us, train our hands so that we can bend a bow of bronze. Make us clean and pure. Help us to put away sin. And so today, Lord, we pray that your word would scour out all that's hidden so that we can be clean. There would be no secrets hidden in us. We want to be blameless before you, to be those who, by covenant, have the right to stand in your house and praise you and to call upon you to enlarge our steps so that we will never be shaken. We confess that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is both our salvation and our desire. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our high place, our shield, and the horn of our salvation. We pray these things in his name. Amen.